Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in today's show, we're going to get some insight into the Texans draft picks, including Davis Mills, Roy Lopez, and Brevin Jordan with guys who covered each of them during their college career. My first guest is Troy Clardy, who covers the Stanford Cardinal as host of the TreeCast podcast for the Believe Network. Troy is also one of the voices of the Pac-12 Network and ESPN+. And Troy, it's exciting to get some insight into new Texans quarterback, Davis Mills. It's still strange for me to say, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I'm sure he loves the fact that you're saying it. Look, this is what it has been an easy road. I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit more here in the chat. It has been an easy road for Davis Mills to get to this point um, with the injuries that he suffered at the very end of his high school career and even a couple during his college career as well. But uh you know, the, the road that he took has led him to this point, and that is an opportunity to perhaps maybe even be a starter in the NFL before before the end of the calendar year is out. So uh, it might be weird for you to say it, but I'm sure it's music to Davis's ears. Most important question right off the bat, is Davis Mills into daily massages? What's your scouting report? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. Well, really what he's about more than anything else and what he is into is running an offense and being a leader. And I think you saw that a little bit. Not sure if you got a chance to check out uh, his pro day um, at Stanford, you know, late March. Uh, it always seems like it's a tradition. You know, it's beautiful, ba barely rains here, uh, but it also, always seems to rain on uh, Stanford football's pro day, right? So, so weather's tough. And I still think that we got a chance to see some of the intangibles because anyone can throw a football against air 50, 60 yards downfield and hit a guy, right, in, in, in shorts and things like that. But any, anyone can do that and put that on tape. But And this was a concerted effort by Stanford football. They wanted to make sure that teams know if they were watching, whether they're in person or on the NFL Network uh, watching his pro day, that this kid not only can do all the physical things, but has true command of an offense and command of a huddle. And we saw that a lot with him during the course of that pro day, that pro day, him actually calling the shots. And I talked to Stanford football offensive coordinator to be the Pritchard a couple of weeks ago. And he said, yeah, that was a concerted effort by us because we wanted to make sure that 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 teams knew that this isn't just a guy who can make uh, the, the, the throws that you need to make in order to win ball games. although he can certainly do those. But where is much of quarterbacking done in the NFL? It's done at the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, you, you have the, the, the most brilliant play called in the history of the universe in the huddle. You're like, all right, here we go. This is going to be it. Off we go. Then you turn around and you look, and, and the safety's not where he's supposed to be. The corners are in a different coverage. The linebackers are in a different spot. And all of a sudden you go, uh-oh, I need a different play. Well, Davis Mills can certainly do that because that was so much a part of what Stanford football's offense is all about. Their quarterbacks will go to the line of scrimmage having called two or perhaps even three plays in the huddle. The quarterback will look things over at the line and say, OK, let's do this play from here. So, you know, so much of reading defenses uh, and so much of what happens as far as being an NFL quarterback is concerned happens between the huddle and the snap. And I think Davis is most well served uh, in, in that direction, and in that area. Can he make all the physical plays? Yes. But where he really has his value is his knowledge and control and command of how to run a huddle and how to run an offense. What we know about Davis is that he was considered the top quarterback coming out of his high school class, just about by every service. But I guess the scary part is, as a Texan fan, he only started 11 games at Stanford. So what exactly happened? Kind of take us through his journey over the last few years. And, and that's the big question about him, right? I mean, he suffered the torn ACL in his knee in the championship game of his high school senior season. So that, that prevented him from being a part of Stanford right from the very jump as soon as he, uh, as soon as he got on campus. Uh, redshirted his freshman year. Um, started to slowly but surely get back into the fold, but suffered a setback. Had to have another surgery. Worked back into the fold again, saw a little bit of playing time in the 2018 season, but unfortunately injured himself again during that 2018 season. So uh, he was lost for the rest of that year. Uh, K.J. Costello, the incumbent starter for Stanford, uh, got hurt 
very early, halfway through the uh, 2019 season uh, in, in the season opener against Northwestern. And then Davis Mills finally started to get a, a chance to really show what he could do. And and we were all kind of you know holding our breath there a little bit during the early portion of that 2019 season when he was out there um, knowing full well uh, the history, the medical history that he had uh, coming into it. But uh, even though he suffered a calf strain, forced him to miss a couple of games, uh, KJ was the starter that year anyway. It wasn't like uh, he was necessarily in danger of losing his job only due to injury. And unfortunately for him, those injuries happened. But when, when Davis came on the scene and when we fully got a chance to, to see what he could truly do, we could see that the throws were there. Power throws to the sidelines, power throws on the run, accurate throws anywhere and touch as well. And even though we only saw 11 games uh, starting for him uh, at Stanford throughout the course of his career and what 11 games they were, I, I, I came away with his experience thinking that, man, this kid, and I realize the, the weight of, of what I'm about to say here, but this kid quite possibly is perhaps the best pure passer that Stanford has ever had. Yes, I realize Stanford football has had Andrew Luck and John Elway and, and, and Jim Plunkett and so many other fantastic, great quarterbacks who are great at the collegiate level and also in the pros as well. But, but you know, Elway wasn't known for his touch in college, right? He was known for just gunning it just about anywhere and putting oh, it yeah. in there and putting fastballs every single way possible. So, uh, you know, as far as a pure passer, making all the throws, pinpoint throws, accurate throws, throws with velocity and throws without whatever you needed, he made all of them. And certainly, look, for my own personal selfish purposes, would have loved to have seen him come back and truly cement himself as one of the best quarterbacks in college football in the 2021 season. But the resume's there. There is enough tape. It's certainly there if you look at it that he certainly has the skills to perhaps do some big things in the next level. Man, you're convincing me. I mean, I was a little bit uh, afraid about this pick because it's it's not just that the Texans are – probably going to be bad this year and likely are going to get a top pick next year. And of course this year they didn't have a, a first or second round pick. So you thought, okay, why don't you just go get the quarterback next year when you can get one of the top of the draft guys. And I guess Troy, the, the obvious question for anybody that's looking on this just as an observer is how is a guy this good, supposedly the eighth best quarterback in an NFL draft? I mean, we usually don't even have eight, guys picked in an NFL draft at the quarterback position. Right. Well, durability is is the number one main question. And and you know the 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 the, the questions there are honest ones, right? Uh so it's it's mostly a durability thing and you know I I hate to play this card a little bit, but I does think I I do think that it that it does apply somewhat in this situation. Pac-12 quarterbacks kind of get a bit of a short shrift. You know, when it comes to evaluation, especially when, you know, you see some of the other guys around the country, you know, SEC is starting to play uh, the quarterback position in that conference is actually starting to actually really mean and, and, and mean something and matter. So that's gaining momentum. So, you know, the Pac-12 product has taken a bit of a hit on and off the field football wise over the last couple of years. It's an, it's an unfortunate reality. Uh, and I think that that perception also maybe kind of waters down a little bit, perhaps what people think of what Davis Mills can do, plus the fact that they only played six games throughout the course of the uh, of the of the shortened year um, last year uh, as well. So I, I think those might be the two uh, big things that might have been working against him a little bit as far as placing him maybe further. I mean, because people, I mean, you, you had your top five, but but a lot of folks had him basically at the top, the very top of that uh, of that second tier of of quarterbacks so it's not like you know this was a real a reach perhaps in, in, in a sense in fact it could be argued that he maybe slipped a bit uh, further beyond uh, what what most folks might have thought uh where most folks most folks might have thought that he might have gone so I, I think those are the two big uh fact the two bigger factors that are, that are at work here but you look at the tape and you go oh 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 okay okay i get it now Look at the tape, and, and and you start to feel a little bit better about things. I'd imagine. Well, as you know, somebody that's got to see him up close a lot. Is there anything when you've read through some of these scouting reports as you approach the draft that you thought, well, that's not right? You know, <laughs> are, are they getting this? Are they getting it right on these scouting reports, or do you feel like that, that there's maybe a, a a strength that they have as a weakness, or vice versa? 
Yeah, I, I love anonymous scout season, right? I mean, all these things that 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 suddenly come out for for whatever reason. Let's face it, there's there is an agenda behind, you know, many. I'm not going to say most, but perhaps many of those things that are that are put out and leaked out there by by anonymous scouts. Uh, and I, I did see one thing uh, out there uh, that was like, you know, I don't un- I don't understand the hype. I don't understand why he's gaining momentum. Uh, the mobility just isn't there. The athleticism just isn't there. And look, you look at Davis Mills and you don't think athleticism and maybe it's the black shoes. I don't know. Maybe 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 that's the reason or so. But again, when you look at the tape and, and you know, look. NFL defenses are much faster than Pac-12 defenses and 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 just about and, and all college football defenses, even in the SEC. NFL defenses are faster, so he's going to have uh, have to be a bit a bit, uh, and his mobility, you know, might be a uh, might be a bit more of a, of a question mark in the NFL and certainly in the collegiate level. But that being said, showed fantastic mobility, getting out of the pocket, and being mobile doesn't have to mean it doesn't mean you have to be like Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, you just have to be like Dan Marino. Just slide around in the pocket, buy time, get away from rushers, have the eyes downfield, and hit guys. Hit the right guys, move the chains, or score six points. That's all you need to do. You're not going to ask him to be out there running around out there and, and becoming becoming an extra running back out there. So, you know, I, you, know you, you, you get led to believe that scouts, you know, just eat tape. Look at it, 23, 24, 25 hours a day for, you know, for eight months a year during scouting session. And then, and then they, they form all these, these grand opinions of what they think about guys uh, based, on, based on that tape. And then you read other things, and it's like, you came to that conclusion? Seriously? So I, I really had to scratch my eyebrows. And I, I, fortunately, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. I've given it way more mental energy now than I'm saying it than I did when I actually read it. But, you know, it, 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 it was something I saw that was kind of like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know how I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure that you didn't really comprehend the tape that you really watched. So give me maybe a quarterback that you've seen in the NFL that he reminds you of with his mobility, because it's something that I was thinking of, because you're not seeing the traditional quarterback in the NFL anymore. The only guy left is Tom Brady, who's 4,000 year old. He's the dinosaur (laughs) of the guys. I mean, Breeze just retired. Philip Rivers just retired. The statues are gone. So who who is he compared to maybe athletically in the pocket? Who, Who does he remind you of? That's a pretty good question, um, but I also would would caution against limiting his skills to just being in the pocket because he can make throws that you need to make on the run. He actually even made a fantastic touchdown grab against Oregon State. You know that they ran the Philly special against the Beavers in the uh, twenty nineteen season, and you know juked the guy out of his jock and got him into and, and got into the end zone and made a leaping grab for a score. So I'd caution against just limiting him to just the pure pocket guys is that where he does his best work yeah sure but he can do a lot of his best work outside the pocket um as as well so uh tough for me to answer that question from 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 that particular standpoint uh but he's he's certainly got the tools there's no doubt about that tell me about his personality i mean who is this guy what do we need to know about him i mean i just what i read is he's a prodigy i mean he's been you know, going towards NFL quarterbacks since the age of seven, eight, going to camps and doing all that sort of thing. Yeah, all all business and super even keeled. And he was the most like the Stanford coaches of of any of the quarterbacks that have that have run through um, during the time that 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 Davis Mills was there. Uh, and and David Shaw, you know, reports are that that arguably Davis was was maybe his favorite quarterback uh, that he's had there. And, and again, lofty praise. I mean, Kevin Hogan won two Rose Bowls. Andrew Luck is and was and is Andrew Luck. Uh, K.J. Costello had charisma and certainly did some great things during his time on the farm. So that's not, that's not a, a, a lightweight statement either, but super even keeled. You know, whether Stanford's up by 20, which didn't happen too often because they didn't know quite know how to close games. Uh, they kept leaving the door open a, a lot of times, and more often than not, they're able to to, to 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 slam the door later on. But whether they're up by twenty or down by twenty, Mills is even keeled as you could possibly be. And you, you go back to his final, what ended up being his final game in a Stanford uniform. 
Um, they were at, down, down at the Rose Bowl playing against UCLA. Had a 20-3 to lead at the half. UCLA's starting quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, got knocked out. You think, oh, man, Stanford's going to coast uh, to a relatively easy win. Well, UCLA comes back, takes a lead. They lead it 24-20. to Mills throws a pick six with five minutes to go. And Stanford suddenly down by two scores. And, you know, I mean, you would think that, you know, some quarterbacks, some coaches would be like, you know, in a panic and in a froth and all these other sorts of things. You know, Davis. And by the way, that's the first pick six that Davis Mills has ever thrown in his quarterbacking career ever. College, high school, junior high, even before since day one. That's the first six pick that Davis Mills had ever thrown in his career. Davis gets back to the sideline and, you know, just just looks at David Shaw and Shaw looks back at him and says, you good? And Davis says, yeah. And he just goes over to the phone and he talks to Tavita Pritchard, the Stanford offensive coordinator, and they just matter of factly go over all the things they need to go through. Mills leads Stanford to a touchdown and then a game tying touchdown. And then Stanford wins in overtime. His final pass, beautiful drop in the bucket to a well-covered Simi Fajoko in the end zone uh, for what ended up being the game winning touchdown. So all business, he's not going to be a quote machine. Uh, He's not going to give you super long and expanded answers or anything like that. He's just going to be matter of fact. Hey, this is what I think. This is what I saw. This is what this team needs to be doing uh, going forward. So, uh, you know, all business, but but you know that he's going to be a pro uh, all, all the way through. And he certainly has the uh, the, the 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 temperament uh, to perhaps uh, deal with the deal with the rigors of what it is being an NFL quarterback because it ain't easy. You just described the identical twin of new Texans general manager, Nick Casario, all business, uh, Mm -hmm. short answers. He's not a lot about anything else, but football. I mean, that's basically exactly who you've described. Let let me ask you finally, just, you know, you sound pretty darn confident that this guy is going to be really good in the NFL. I mean, should the Texans fans start getting excited about him? Sure. And rightfully so. My God, what, what a, what a year or two it's been uh, for that franchise. And I feel, I feel for those fans where, where football is just such a, such a fabric of, 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 of the community. Um, I think individually, I think there's a lot to be excited about the, one of the bigger questions about Davis is how much help, is he going to get how much coaching is he going to get? I mean, look, he already comes in ready-made coached up with NFL style systems, NFL style philosophies and things like that. But you can't just turn off the spigot as soon as the guy walks in the facility and just throw the playbook at him and say, Hey, all right, kid, here you go. No, he has to be consistently, you know, the, the, the coaching consistently has to be there throughout. This is a critical time for him. There is still a large leap from being a college quarterback to playing in the pros, even though he's a bit more fine-tuned and a bit more a bit more ready-made to perhaps make that transition than many others, it's still a big leap, man. And he's so he's going to need a lot of help individually. He has the tools. How's the offensive line? How's the running game? Does the is is the defense still there? Are they going to be able to get him the ball back? It's not going to be. And look, you know, you you know how it is. The quarterback gets the lion's share of the credit when things go well, and the lion's share of the blame. When things don't go so well, whether they deserve it or not, that's pretty much how it works. But but Davis's future and his success in the NFL isn't going to be just him. I'm pretty confident that he's going to do what he needs to do to put himself in the best position. The big question is whether the Texans uh, in the front office, on the field, in the coaching rooms, whether they can follow suit as well. Before I let you go, there's another third-round pick out of Stanford that's on the Texans roster right now. He could use a really big year, especially since his final year under contract. I think you know I'm talking about Justin Reed. Most of us in Houston thought he would be a steal in the third round, but he's dealt with some injuries, just hasn't quite lived up to the hope and the hype and all that. Have you been following him, and you know, do you have a take on that? Are you surprised by you know, his struggles so far? Yeah, injuries happen. You know, I mean, look at Solomon Thomas, top 10 pick for the San Francisco 49ers a few years ago, defensive line, uh, just ripped Mitch Trubisky up in the Sun Bowl. One of the more impressive defensive performances uh, by an individual player, uh, certainly on the defensive line um, than I've ever seen. I lived in Pittsburgh during a time when Aaron Donald was playing for Pitt. All right. And so that was that was amazing stuff. What Solomon was able to do for much of that year. And it has not worked out for him. 
Uh, that's a big part of the, that's a big part of the picture too. Can he stay healthy? And unfortunately for Justin, uh, he has not been able to do so for much of his career to this point. Uh, great ambassador off the field uh, for for the Texans for football, um, as you know. And look, it's going to be a big year for him. Um, he's had some big moments. He's he's done some good things. But whether he can stay on the field and help steady the ship uh, for for the Houston Texans, I'm hoping for the best for him. And and man, I can tell you this. Safety play at Stanford has not been the same since that guy went to the NFL. The Cardinals certainly miss him in a big time way. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And that was actually one of my first thoughts when I when I when I, when, uh, when when Davis Mills' uh, name was uh, was announced as going to the Houston Texans. I was like, oh wait, Justin's Justin's there. Oh, that's pretty cool. So so there is you know Peter Combine. You know, has, has been there as well. Another Stanford guy. So there is a bit of a pipeline, a bit of a, a bit of talent that has gone from Stanford to Houston. Nice to see it continue with Davis Mills and uh, and hopeful for and hopeful that works out for the best for everyone involved. Yeah, I believe Brennan Scarlett had a cup of coffee. Right. As well. Yep. yep. Um, and, and it's it's going to be, you know, the head up. Everything is fine with Justin Reed. It's just got to get him going from the neck down. But yeah. if any of our listeners want to pose a question about Davis that. We didn't get to uh, the two of us because I, I might have missed something. How can they connect with you on social media or anywhere else to ask questions? And where can they find the podcast? Yeah, you got it. Uh, best thing to do was uh, to hit me up on Twitter at Troy Clarity. The last misspelled C-L-A-R-D-Y at Troy Clarity. And give me the hashtag TreeCast, too, because that will will certainly uh, gu- uh, guarantee uh, that, I, that I see uh, your question and, 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 and any of your any response that you might have uh, to the course of this show. Uh, the TreeCast with Troy Clarity uh, covers mostly Stanford football. We had to kind of broaden the scope. We joined the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, March 9th was our was our first podcast. March 9th, 20. 20 of last year and we were supposed to strictly focus on stanford football then three days later everything shut down so we had to kind of widen the scope a little bit to follow all of stanford athletics and uh, it's been a lot of fun following stanford women's basketball to its national championship following stanford football through its uh, uh through its shortened season last year and stanford athletics pretty much uh from from end uh, to end so google play apple podcasts uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa's got the hookup. The TreeCast with Troy Clarity. We have a lot of fun. We're in our inner, we're in our irregular uh, part of our posting schedule. Uh, we are Stanford is in spring football, so we're coming at you a bit more regularly. Probably not next, probably not this week, but uh, uh, should have a new episode, I would think, uh, coming up next week. But uh, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, the TreeCast with Troy Clarity is there. Well, thanks so much for doing this, and I really appreciate you brightening my day a little bit with all this uh, <laughs> Davis Mills good news. But, uh, hey, can't, can't tell you how much we love hearing from somebody that really knows Davis Mills and got to see him. Yeah, yeah. Looking looking forward to seeing what he can do, hoping uh, that it all works out for the best for him and for you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, stay sane. <laughs> Joining me now is Paul Melendez, who hosts the U Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And as you might guess, the U Podcast, the place to go for the best Miami Hurricanes coverage. And I wanted to bring Paul in to break down tight end Brevin Jordan, the Texans' fifth-round pick. And great to catch up with you, Paul. Robert, thank you so much uh, for inviting me on your show, man. It truly is an honor, and I'm just grateful you reached out to me. So thank you again. Oh, good to have you. And and it's we got to get into Brevin Jordan, who was – First team all ACC a couple of years ago, twice second team all conference. Coming out of high school, ESPN ranked him as the best tight end in the country. Which round were you expecting he'd go in in this draft? Was it early third or early fourth or fifth? Or where where were you guys thinking he would go? You know, Robert, that's a great question because, you know, believe it or not, a lot of Miami Hurricanes fans thought he would go in the third round, a lot of people thought he was the best overall tight end to be selected. And, you know, we saw through the draft a lot of other tight ends who I felt like Brevin could have been selected before. I mean, you take a guy like Trey McKitty out of Florida State. He only had six receptions this past season where Brevin Jordan had over 38 receptions this past year if you compare it to Trey McKitty. So I was pretty perplexed at that selection. For example, also the tight end from SMU, just athletically, they just don't match up. So, you know, ultimately, I was pretty shocked that he fell to the fifth round, but I thought it was a pretty good draft selection. And we'll go a little bit deeper as to why he may have fallen and, you know, maybe he wasn't taken earlier. 
Yeah, and the U, you guys have produced a crazy amount of great NFL tight ends. You got Bubba Franks and Jeremy Shockey, Kellen Winslow, Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham. After three seasons, was he getting compared to any of those guys, or did you hear any comps that made sense to you as you watched him? You know what? Those guys are such put on a high pedestal, and like you mentioned, Jimmy Graham. You know, a lot of people have to remember this was a guy who played college basketball for four years at the University of Miami, and then they're like, hey, like, what are you doing for this next year? Why don't you go trial for the football team? You have a freak athletic ability. Let's see if it works out. And literally, like his fifth year of playing college sports, he goes out, plays football for head coach Randy Shannon, and the rest is history. I mean, he has a great NFL career. I mean, guys like Jeremy Shockey, Kellen Winslow, Greg Olson, Bubba Franks, David Njoku, Clyde Wofford. I mean, in my opinion, they're at such of a, an elite level and high pedestal that it's hard to compare to those guys. But ultimately, Brevin Jordan's career, I think why he wasn't compared to a lot of these players was, you know, ultimately it was very injury plagued. He was out 12 games out of his entire college football career. That's an entire college football season. If you divide that by the three years he played football, he was out for a quarter of every season. You know, it's very difficult to create a legacy at Miami when you're always injured and you're not able to play all 12 games. Well, that brings up a pretty good question. I I guess Texans fans would wonder, uh, are there concerns at all valid about injuries? I mean, is this something that could be recurring? Is there stuff about his health that we should worry about? Look, you you cannot... Um, you know, you cannot stop injuries from occurring. Obviously, some players get more banged up than other players. You know, there's that Joe Theismann injury we saw with Lawrence Taylor that impacted his career. I believe Alex Smith as well had to walk away from the game from getting injured as well. So, you know, football, you cannot prevent injuries. But as every season has gone by, you know, during Brevin Jordan's college football career, he has gotten injured. And if you take an NFL season to account, you do play 16 games. That's four more games than your regular season in college football. And then every NFL organization, the expectation is to make the NFL playoffs. So you add on, you know, roughly another four games. And that's a 20-game NFL season, not including preseason. So that does show a lot of factors at play. Can he be healthy enough to play a full NFL season? But you know what? Brevin Jordan, I'll tell you what, the Houston Texas fans out there, he's a great kid. He is very well respected and loved in the locker room. You're not going to have any off the field issues. You're going to get an NFL player who you want your organization to represent. This is a guy that you want in your locker room. He's a leader. He's a great guy, has a great personality, and he's a good overall football player. He's a good overall tight end. The only thing is that he's not elite at anything. He doesn't have a freak athletic ability. And I feel like at the next level, your Rob Gronkowski's, your Jimmy Graham's, your Zach Ertz, you know, your David Njoku's, for example, those guys are freak athletes, okay? Or they have freak measurements where they create mismatches on the football field. And Brevin Jordan, he's roughly six two and a half, six three with pads on. He runs a four seven forty. There, it's very vanilla his profile. But you know what? He's solid all around and at every facet of the game. He's a very fluid route runner. He's great in open field blocking. He's great at blocking at the line as well. You know, he's overall a great tight end. He's a great possession receiver as well. You know, he, he dropping passes is not his issue. He'll get he'll convert a first down for you. I just think he doesn't create mismatches at the next level, and there's nothing elite about his measurements or athletic ability that puts him over the edge to be that all pro bowl, you know, or starting tight end at the next level where I haven't projected as is roughly kind of a situational tight end, maybe put him on, you know, third down uh, situations, specific packages. I don't see him working up in for jump ball situations in the red zone as a red zone situational tight end. Ultimately, I just see him as an ex- potentially kind of an experienced veteran backup tight end rotational tight end at the next level. I noticed his yards per catch went up every season from 9 to 14 to 15. He also went up from six total touchdowns his first two years to seven this past season. How much do you think that had to do with getting a better quarterback in there? Of course, Houston's very familiar with De'Eric King. And and, and how much of that had to do with, uh, you know, he's a kid. He's going to be getting a little bit better each year. Did you see a jump as you were watching him year by year? Interesting thing about Brevin Jordan's, you know, college football career Not only did he play with three different quarterbacks, he played with three different offensive coordinators as well. 
So you're in that situation where it's three different offenses. That's very challenging for any receiver, anyone playing in that offense. And I think the offense did get a little bit better every single year. You went from Mark Rick to, if you follow college football, I mean, God bless that guy's offensive scheme. It's like taking a chapter out of the 1990s, 1980s. I mean, it's very, very, I mean, it, it needs to be, it's not spread whatsoever. It's just boring pro style strictly under center power football. And I think college football is modernized from that. Then there's Dan Enos who shows you a lot of different variations, but if you don't have the appropriate personnel front, it's really not going to be a very fluid offense. So, you know, I think he really shined in Rhett Lashley's offense specifically, which is a heavy spread power offense. And I think if Brevin Jordan is going to excel at the next level and really contribute to an NFL roster, I think you have to put him in a spread offense where you can create open field mismatches in the middle of the field, if anything, on a one-on-one situation. I think that's when Brevin will shine in yards after catch. Lance Zerline, who covers the NFL for NFL.com, he's a local guy. You know, I was just reading his report, and, you know, he says decent pass catching talent. Like you said, I guess not, not anything extraordinary. Needs to bolster run blocking to become a tight end, too. Is that something you would agree with? I think at the next level, he needs to bolster it. I think he got away with it a lot in the ACC conference play, specifically in the ACC Coastal, where the, the entire personnel changes. You're in a subpar conference. You're probably one of the weaker ones in Power 5 football, and now you're elevating the talent of play at the NFL you know, ranks where everyone is elite. So if you're good at, in the college football ranks at a subpar conference, then you're really below to above average at the NFL ranks. So you need to improve. So overall, I think Brevin Jordan's going to have to improve his game tremendously. And I completely agree. And I think ultimately, you know, I think trimming down some weight and putting on good muscle would be good if he can uh, transition that. And I think he still has some baby fat, believe it or not. Um, just get good, healthy muscle on, good weight on you know, maybe trim down his 40 time and, you know, maybe you can see something there. But, you know, Brevin, ultimately, the way I viewed him as, was a good college football tight end, you know, and unfortunately, you can be a great college football player. But as we've seen many times, you know, plenty of examples, you know, really transition well to the NFL. So he's going to have to improve all facets of his game. What's his personality like? Because I, I noticed he's a theater major, which is kind of different for your average football player. Oh, he's a great kid. You know, he's very outspoken. He has a great personality. He's not a locker room issue guy. He's not gonna guy who's going to create problems in the locker room, within the program. He's a team player. He's going to know his assignments. He's going to know the playbook, uh, the ins and outs of it. And he's not going to create any off-the-field issues. He's everything you want representing your NFL organization as an NFL player. And I think that's ultimately a huge positive that the Houston Texans got from Brett and Jordan. And, um, you know, it, the issue in the NFL is not going to be any off the, off the field issues with Brett and Jordan or his personality whatsoever. It's going to be his on the field play. And Brett and Jordan, he's going to know his playbook in and out. He's going to know his assignments. It's whether talent wise, physically, if he can make the adjustments, you know, if he can transition from a good college tight end to a good NFL tight end. And I think that's what's going to be the big issue. I must be getting old because I read that besides his dad, who played college football, Brevin's big inspiration was Reggie Bush. Oh, my God, I'm getting old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, um, I read that uh, you know his high school team won three national championships, and the Hurricanes, even though they were only five games over 500 in his three seasons there, went to three bowl games. I just hope, Paul, that Brevin is ready for some losing because the Texans are going to be a cold splash in the face for him for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of what a lot of Miami Hurricanes fans were saying was like, I don't think they he went to the appropriate NFL organization because right now it, it's a sticky situation and it's messy. You know, that was kind of the word around the fan base, so... Yeah, it's it's definitely, hey, any rebuild in a franchise, I believe they just lost Bill O'Brien, correct? So, you know, any rebuild with a new head coach, it's going to be a project, and they got to believe in their head coach, and you can't lose the locker room. So that's definitely going to be a huge learning lesson for him to experience as a rookie, going through and transitioning with a new NFL head coach. But luckily, you know, Brevin Jordan has played with two different head coaches at the college football ranks, so he's used to change. He's seen three different offensive coordinators, 
three different offensive playbooks, so he's used to change in his college career, so it may be an easier transition for him than other football players right now for the Houston Texans. Well, it should be interesting to see what he does here. The Texans, they've had some mixed results with Hurricanes over the years. There's your Brandon Harris, Philip Buchanan, and Daryl Sharpton. Didn't work out so well, but then we also had Owen Daniels, Chris Myers, and of course, Andre Johnson. Unfortunately, we got the washed-up version of Ed Reed and a sort of fading Vince Wolfork, but a lot of, <laughs> a lot of hurricanes been roaming through uh, Houston. And I, I, I know you might be aware of this, but uh, if anybody has forgotten over in Miami, our one and only play-by-play guy now for 20 years or almost 20 years is Mark Vandermeer, former Hurricanes voice. Maybe back uh, when they had that incredible team in 01. Wow, very cool. I, I did not know that, actually, believe it or not. <laughs> I assume there's got to be a little bit of excitement in Miami that Jalen Phillips got drafted by the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were happy, you know, uh, gets to play in the same stadium, same city he was playing in. You know, Jalen Phillips, What a, I mean, what a remarkable story. This is a guy who's the number one player overall. He was ranked higher than Chase Young in 24-7 rankings at his respected position. Okay? Goes to UCLA battles through injuries, retires from the game of football, is literally working as like an administrative assistant at his father's law firm in Redlands, California. Then University of Miami, you know, kind of contacts him, inquires if he wants to play college football again, comes back to the game. You know, this was a guy, he was going to focus on his music career as, you know, I'm not sure what genre, but he wanted to be a musician. Comes back to the University of Miami and becomes a first-round pick. I mean, what a crazy story and remarkable story as well. Um, you know, truly is, uh, you know, something he stated was he always stayed humble and kept his faith. And I think that's something everyone should, you know, keep. You know, always stay humble through your downtimes, your highest moments, and I think you'll be successful in life and, you know, keep that faith. So definitely is a beautiful story that came out of it. Yeah, that's unreal. Fantastic. And, and let me ask you, while I got you, how do the Hurricanes look next year? What does the football team expect the next year? Do you like where they're going? Yeah, no, honestly, I really do. I think linebacker position unit, that's probably our biggest flaw, and I think we're going to have a lot of issues with a big body running back in a power run game. Specifically, you know, if it's a power spread run game, I think Miami's going to have big issues, and we saw that predicated against UNC. Look, honestly, uh, that Alabama game does not excite me one bit. I think we're going to be very vulnerable I'm very curious how we pan out, and that's going to be a big program evaluator once again. I I still think we need to hit the transfer portal for linebacker play and edge rushers to get over that ACC title hump to compete with the Clemsons, the North Carolinas. But ultimately, I mean, this Miami Hurricanes football team should win nine or ten games, uh, no excuses. The two teams on their schedule, or three teams I would say, is Alabama, Michigan State, and North Carolina, which are iffy games. But we have Michigan State at home. We have Alabama on a neutral site. I mean, the first game of the year, I doubt we win that game. I mean, we're, we're probably going to lose, honestly, uh, by like 40. <laughs> but um, North Carolina, we're playing them in Chapel Hill. We always, we never play well in Chapel Hill for some reason, whether we're heavy favorites or we're not. Um, it's always a close game. So I, I think this is a nine-win football team. And, you know, are we going to get – over that ACC title hump, you got to bring in guys from the transfer portal. I think we're a bit undersized at linebacker and edge rusher as well because we just lost two first round picks. So we got to reload at that position. But, you know, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think it, quarterback play, the future is right there. Before I let you go, if any Houston Texans fans are wondering, you know, something that I didn't mention or something that we didn't get into, how can they ask questions to you or how can they get in touch with you? to ask anything more about Brevin Jordan and of course how can how can this is the podcast yeah you can uh, reach me at at Paul's scoop one uh Paul plural scoop one and I have a YouTube channel as well called the scoop on the U. go check that out as well that's on YouTube I'm roughly over 6,000 subscribers uh currently so uh definitely shoot me a uh message there and watch my videos you know regarding uh, more information on Brevin Jordan or any other NFL draft prospects you're interested in. And I do have a podcast as well called, you know, the U podcast on the Believe Network. So go check me out there. Well, we're excited. We're hoping to see Brevin Jordan here in the next few months and have a little bit of hope with this team next year, but looking forward to 
Brevin, and he's just going to have to trade in some heat and humidity for more heat and humidity. Thanks so much for doing this, Paul. Robert, it was a pleasure, man. Anytime you need me back on, by all means, uh, just shoot me a text. And thank you again for the opportunity, man. I, I'm extremely grateful. Joining me now is Eddie Law, who covers the Arizona Wildcats, is host of the Believe in Arizona football podcast for the Believe Network. That means Eddie is very familiar with defensive tackle Roy Lopez, the Texans' six-round pick. First of all, great to have you on the show, Eddie. Hey, man, I appreciate the invite. I'm super excited to be here and talk my guy, Roy Lopez. Man, you have no idea. Watching the draft and seeing any Wildcat get drafted is, to me, is like it's a huge thing. But to see Roy get drafted, and then, you know, Gary Bright right after him, but to see Roy Lopez get drafted, if they're watching him, you know, fight to be like the, the guy on defense, and, you know, can't, I can't be happier for the guy. Can you get into his path to Arizona? Because he'll be 24 years old when the Texan season starts. So he's an older rookie. I understand he started out at New Mexico before he came to Tucson, mm-hmm. right? Right. So he's, uh, he's a, first of all, he's a Tempe, Arizona boy. He went to, uh, started off at, uh, if anyone knows Arizona, Marcos Denisa High School. Uh, the Padres. That was actually my first high school as well. But he started off there. Ended up having to go to Mesquite High School because you know there was you know some stuff going on with his dad and everything. But um, he did really well here as far as high school goes. He was a two-time state. I don't know if anyone knows this. A two-time uh, Arizona State heavyweight wrestler. You know the, the kid. He's, he he does he could do anything, right? But where he shined obviously was football. He was actually recruited to go to Arizona as you know coming out of high school. But he chose New Mexico State because he was guaranteed a shot to start from day one in camp. So, you know, like you said, New Mexico State, um, what, two, three, like two really good years there? Like, well, 2017-2018, you know, before they went from Sunbelt to, you know, to being independent. I mean, the kid was just going off. If you go online, if you go on YouTube, you type in Roy Lopez highlights, right? You're going to get a whole lot of New Mexico State film, and rightly so. He went in, for example, like, what, 2017 yeah, uh, but 39 total tackles, four for a loss, two sacks, and then he blew up the next year, 12 and a half tackles for a loss. We're talking like the the running back was trying to come through the hole, and he said, "No, no, sir, not happening." Punched him right in the mouth, took him in the backfield. So um, he did have a, a lower leg injury, I believe it was a hematoma in the lower leg, as far as uh, his senior year goes. Luckily, Arizona was able to get him uh, for a few reasons. First of all, he got that exception to have a fifth year. Of eligibility, but due to COVID, and obviously we all know what's been going on with that, due to COVID, there was a really good chance New Mexico State was not going to have a season. And if I'm correct on this, I believe they didn't. So he transferred to Arizona, got to play five games, still made the the uh, the the all uh, the, uh, the all pack uh, twelve defensive team as a defensive tackle. And you know, Arizona boy found his way home. So it was it was really nice to have him and. And uh, we were kind of hoping to have him for one more year. But but you're right, coming in a little older, you're getting a much wiser player than you would have had he been drafted out of New Mexico State, in my opinion. Yeah, you mentioned it. Not only was he a nose tackle, built like a nose tackle, six foot two, 318 pounds, but he's coming to Lovey Smith's 4-3 defensive scheme. The Texans are changing things up from 3-4 to 4-3. What position was he projected to be at in the NFL? And what can you tell us about his strengths as a defensive lineman? So four three might be like the best like scheme he could go to as far as like the, what he can do. Uh, and, you know, and I know you could you, you guys I'm sure you've seen plenty of his tape and everything. He's got the quickness to be off you know to be the blockers right. I don't know if you've seen his his, his highlights. He's got this sidestep where it's really hard for a six foot three hundred plus pound guy or six two three hundred plus pound guy to kind of juke somebody. So you know, basketball fans know breaking ankles like he's broken a few offensive linemen's ankles. You know, shooting to the left at that, you know, as fast as he does, and going after the quarterback. I see him in there you know, as far as nose tackle, defensive tackle. I think he's going to be able to surprise some guys, as far as you know, like offensive linemen who who, you know, see him. They're like, oh, this is some rookie. You know, he's going to come in and and well, I mean, I thought for sure he was like a top top five defensive tackle, like prospect in the draft. Now, not a lot of those guys get drafted, so of course he went down in in, in the later rounds. But um, no, no, I think you guys are getting a guy who is going to, like, he's going to carve his his way into the roster. Like, I don't think, you know, everyone always says, oh, you know, I'm going to throw a flyer on this guy, usually a seven, six round pick, right? Uh, I think you guys hit, uh, as far as like all your picks, and you know, I've, I've only looked at a, a few of them, I think th- he might end up being the best pick out of this draft for you guys. What were your concerns about him coming into the NFL? Or I guess I should say just the concerns of, 
NFL personnel guys. And were there anything that you saw in any of his weaknesses when you're looking at, at draft profiles and stuff like that that you said, eh, I, I don't know if I agree with that. What, what do you see with him as far as weaknesses? Obviously, in college, you're playing against you know a, a handful of elite athletes. And for lack of a better term, a bunch of regular Joes, right? So as a guy his size, his quickness, he could, you know, he could maul and abuse offensive linemen in, in, in college. When he's going to face off against these more athletic, stronger offensive linemen, he doesn't do well in zone blocking. Um, he doesn't have the length to be able to, to, to fight through that kind of thing, through those kind of blocks. So he's going to have to find a way to, to contribute. And I don't think right off the bat, as far as Ricky goes, he's going to be able to come in and, you know, and blow this whole thing up and contribute every single down, you're going to see him come in in packages. You're going to see him come in in rotation, you know, rotations and all that. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the one thing that, that, that bothers me about him is, is he's not, you know, he's not going to be a guy that, that, you know, against zone blocking he's going to do great. Uh, as far as anything else, he's not, he's not one of those guys that uh, – he doesn't get hurt often. Um, he's not – I mean, to, to, to talk about the good things, honestly, yeah, he doesn't – he doesn't quit early on plays. You ever seen defensive tackles go in there and when when their when their first blast off, their first step doesn't you know doesn't get him a sack, doesn't get him to the backfield, you know they just kind of give up and just kind of jog it out. He's not one of those guys. He's very much a high energy, high effort man, especially um, when when uh, you know when he's ch- like he'll he'll chase down running backs if he can. Like he's you're gonna see that from him. If he gets beat or somebody else gets beat, he's gonna run after the running back. Um, and I know a lot of people like, like when we were talking before, you know, the McNairs, they're they're very much no nonsense. We don't we don't play controversies and all that. He's a very good kid, like a very good kid. So, you know, you guys, I think you guys are, are uh, in my opinion, you guys should be really excited about getting him. Yeah. You mentioned the fact that he was a two time high school state wrestling champ. So obviously that's where the strength comes from. But as a personality coach's son, he knows the game really well, right? I mean, this is somebody that might be a coach down the road too. He definitely might be. You know, and you know, like his, his dad coached. He, uh, um, in fact, his dad went. I think went went off went into Mesquite High School and everything. Uh, he's very, very analytical when it comes to, to to his position, especially. I mean, you don't even I don't know New Mexico State is not you know a, a power five, you know team or anything or in a power five conference whatsoever. But you don't improve as much as you did from 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 one year to the next without mentally being in that game and understanding you know, technique and understanding positions and everything. Like, for example, he has a very good, like, sidestep where he, where, where he, go, he goes to either the right or the left. He gets the, the lineman to commit, and then he spins back, right? If you watch that, because I believe there are some highlights on YouTube of this, between his uh, sophomore and junior year at New Mexico State, he got faster and better with that move. And when he came to Arizona, he used that quite a bit. Now, when he played with us, unfortunately, he ran into some of those zone blocking schemes or you know getting doubled and everything because he was the one guy on our on our front seven that could actually you know wreck shop in the backfield. But he still, when he was able to use it one on one, he was able to spin and beat pretty much anybody off the uh, off the line. Well, we're looking forward to seeing him and what he can do. But I, I want to switch gears for just a second. While I have you here, I just thought I'd ask you, what was the Kevin Sumlin experience like over there? <laughs> it was uh, uh interesting so obviously i've been you know an arizona walkout fan my, my entire life I, I never gave a thought to any other college team um uh and so when we got rid of rich rod there was a lot of controversy there's a reason that he got fired because of, of the controversy that he went through when we hired kevin sumlin i a lot of people here celebrated to be honest with you we heard all the stories about kevin sumlin right he had johnny football everyone gave him credit for johnny football which you know you could look uh you could look at to to where Johnny is now, but you know, no disrespect to him at all. But you know, the the, the they were talking about he could recruit. He uses a helicopter to recruit guys and all this kind of stuff, right? So when he gets here, the first thing he did was disassociate the alumni. Like it was bad. Like you know, we talked to, to to alumni all the time on our show and everything, and you know, everyone kind of gave him the side eye for a bit. And if you look at his record at Texas A and M. Every year he got progressively worse when his guys came in, right? The guys that he recruited would come in and take over for the guys that uh, I forgot who the former coaches there, but um, you know, former recruits would, would, would do much better. His guys start coming in, they got worse. For some reason, we look at this guy like, yeah, yeah, he'll do. Like, oh Jesus! So he comes in and immediately dissociates. The culture just goes stale, and he just gets worse every single year here as well. This last year, um, 
you know, with the whole COVID thing and having no crowds and everything, it was probably the best thing for him because he didn't get booed out of the stadium like he should have. But whenever he did those press conferences afterwards, like you could just see in his face, he was kind of like, I know I'm out of here. There's no way. So um, it was uh, it was rough going. It was definitely a rough, uh, rough uh, what, four years that he was here. But now with Jet Fish, and initially the hiring of Jet Fish was 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 met with a lot of skepticism from everybody. I mean, everybody was weird about it. I was weird about it because he'd never played. Um, the, the the best thing to his name was the fact that he had worked for a lot of high level coaches, right? Bill Belichick, number one on top, right? And he has all you know glowing things to say about Coach Fish, uh, Pete Carroll. He had coached all over the NFL, all over you know the, the you know all over college football. So, and the best thing he did was the opposite of what Kevin Slumman did, which is bring in all kinds of alumni. I mean, we just had our, our spring game well, last weekend, right? And, and Shaq Richardson, who, who, who's my co-host on the, on the Bleeding Arizona Football Podcast, you know, he went. And the sidelines were full. They had Gronk and Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski, you know, Super Bowl champ, obviously we know. Uh, Teddy Bruschi, NFL legend, Hall of Famer, like, you know, should be Hall of Famer. Those kind of guys, like, they were all there. And, um... It's, it's honestly a nice, really nice breath of fresh air and, and a lot of optimism, optimism around the program. But, man, those Kevin Sumlin years, they were some dark years, boy. Those, those were rough for us fans, man. Well, the lesson in Houston, they will tell you, is do not leave the University of Houston because you're not going to do it once you get out of, <laughs> out of there because you look at what happened to Sumlin, you look at what happened to Art Bryles. <laughs> oh, that was bad. And then you, you see what, what's happened to Tom Herman. So it hadn't worked out real well for the guys that have left uh, U of H after all their success, as you could tell. <laughs> right. Uh, if any of our listeners want to pose a question about Roy Lopez, we didn't get to, how can they connect with you on social media and where can they find the podcast? All right. The podcast that believe.com is B L A V.com. Uh, you can find all our audio stuff. Of course, if you go on YouTube, just YouTube, just believe Arizona football, you will find our, uh, our actually we do our YouTube version of the shows on there. And um, as far as reaching out to us, our Twitter handles, let me see if I can pull these up. It is Believe in AZFBall. That's at B-L-E-A-V in AZFBall. And that's our Twitter handle. Shoot us some questions on there as well. And, um, of course, if you hit us up with a follow, you'll get all the updates and all the notifications for the for upcoming shows. Well, all I can say is I hope Lopez can be just somebody that's got potential and under – you know, a contract with, you know, being a, a lower round pick that, you know, is going to help the Texans out. But uh, I'm excited after, you know, talking to you about him. No, and you should be hardworking kid, good head on his shoulders. I believe he just got engaged. I'm not hundred percent sure, but you know, hardworking kid, good head on his shoulders. He's going to give you everything he has. That's the number one thing about Roy Lopez. He doesn't ever let the foot off, the, uh, put the foot off the gas. He understands how fortunate he is, where this position he's in, he's, he, I'm telling you, you guys got a hard, hard worker. I believe Houston, Texas fans should be super excited about him. That's Eddie Law with the Arizona Football Podcast for the Believe Network. Thanks so much, Eddie. Thank you, sir. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.